Well, my beloved brothers and sisters, let's take our Bibles and let's turn together to the Gospel of Matthew. You see it on the screen. Today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. No, uh, no big deal, just a couple guys walking on water. That's all that's happening this morning. So we'll read through this and really looking forward to journeying through this with you guys. By the way, you're in wonderful voice this morning. Good to sing with you always. What a blessing is ours to sing God's praises with one another. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. We're going to go down through verse 33. And just to kind of get us prepared to where we are. So if you were with us last week, or if you have kind of been making your way through the gospel of Matthew, we read last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus fed 5,000 men. And then, of course, Matthew also tells us, you know, um, not even counting, essentially, the, the women and the children. So an incredible miracle has just taken place. And what's interesting is that according to the Gospel of John, right? So we know we have four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them dedicated to chronicling the life of Jesus. And so according to the gospel of John, after this happened, after this feeding took place, the people wanted to make Jesus king, right? So, so they are so ready to make Jesus king that what happens is that Jesus sends the disciples away pretty quickly and he himself goes away, right? And so then we come to the verses that we have for today. So Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, we have seen this incredible display of the fact that Jesus has authority over creation in this way, and we also see the fact that, that even in the most basic needs that we have, Jesus meets those in a way that brings glory to himself. Now we come to this wonderful scene of Jesus on the water, the disciples in the boat, and Peter, love Peter the stout-hearted one, also the fickle-hearted one at times. Uh, reminds me, the fickle-hearted especially, of myself, uh, how, how prone to be fickle-hearted I can be. So let's do this. Let's stand as we always do. Let's honor God as his word is read from Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22 down through verse 33. This is the word of the Lord. What a privilege is ours to hear it together. Immediately, the Bible says he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, 
saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray as we approach these verses together. God, we are so thankful for the opportunity we have now in these moments that we will spend together that we get to devote this time with one another to opening, reading, hearing your word. And God, we pray that in this time you would shape our hearts, shape our minds by the truth of your word. And God, we are so thankful that the Bible is true. So thankful that your word is trustworthy. And God, what a great and wonderful treasure we have in your word. Father, may you be exalted and magnified. May the name of your son, Jesus Christ, be lifted up. May your spirit lead us, shape us, and guide us in this time. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, you guys have a seat again. Thank you. All right, so like we said, no big deal. Just a couple guys walking on the water here. Um, no, just kidding. This is a very big deal uh, that is taking place here. And uh, it's an incredible scene that we're seeing happen in these verses. Now, as we approach them, there is a big or main idea that I would suggest to you from these verses. And that main idea is this. Jesus is the Son of God. And he calls us to trust him and worship him. Jesus is the Son of God, and he calls us to trust him and worship him, all right? So looking at that main idea, based on these verses that we have here, I want to look at kind of the two parts of that. First, the fact that we see, yet again, Jesus is the Son of God. And then we'll talk about the fact that the demonstration, the verifying, if you will, the revealing of him as the Son of God calls us to trust him and to worship him. Now again, we've said it many times, but this is a great time to say it again. The Gospel of Matthew has one main objective, and that main objective is to communicate specifically to the people with an Israelite background, but really people with any background, this main message, that Jesus is the promised redeemer. Jesus is the savior. That from the beginning of Scripture, even before creation, even before time began, Jesus is the one promised to come to redeem us and to save us. And so what Matthew does at turn after turn, place after place, instance after instance, is he wants to make sure that we understand that this Jesus is not like anyone else. Incredible scene that we see play out here. So we see first, the Bible tells us so very clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, how do we see this demonstrated even in these verses? One of the ways that we see this demonstrated in these verses is the fact that Jesus has authority over creation, right? When Jesus walks on water, guys, are you with me on this? He walked on water, okay? You ever seen that? 
I haven't, okay? <laughs> never seen that demonstrated, never seen that done. I've seen people do lots of things on water, in water, around water, and with water. But I've never seen them walk on water. And it's one of those things that if we're not careful, we might just kind of whisk by and say, oh yeah, Jesus walked on water. <laughs> Hang on here now. Try to put yourself in the position of the disciples or anybody in that boat, right? The man walked on water. Now here's what's amazing, right? So if you look in the Old Testament, one of the ways that the Old Testament speaks about God is that he has power or authority over the waters. Because he made the entire world and everything in it, even the waters are under his authority. And again, remember what Matthew's trying to do here. Matthew's trying to say, hey, you remember everything the Old Testament is talking about? Waiting on a redeemer, waiting on a savior. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And this is one more of the many ways that Matthew is making this clear. In the book of Job chapter nine, the Bible says that it is God who has trampled out or walked on the waters. Psalm chapter 77 states that God's way is through the sea. His path is through the great waters. Isaiah chapter 43 states that the Lord makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. These are some of the places and some of the ways where the Old Testament in, in very illustrious or imaginative language paints a picture of the fact that God has power or authority over the waters. And so when Matthew records Jesus walking on the waters, something is happening here. Yet again, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is no mere man, no mere teacher, no mere person. Jesus is God. He's the son of God. This is God in the flesh dwelling among us. But not only that, Jesus not only has authority over creation, Jesus has authority over the laws of science, apparently. He apparently has authority to manipulate, if you will, the laws of physics when he wants to. Because guys, this should not happen for man to walk on water, right? This should not take place. But here's what's incredible. It's not only Jesus who walks on water, but who else? Peter. This is an amazing scene. Unbelievable what is happening right here. Jesus not only has authority over creation, he also has authority over the laws of science, the laws of physics. But not only that, Jesus shows himself, claims himself to be the son of God. Check out what Jesus says. Still uh, in verses 22 through 23, look at what he says uh, coming out of verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. When Jesus says this phrase, it is I, this is the same wording found in the gospel of John when Jesus uses this same statement, I am, over and over and over again. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the good shepherd. All of these I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, demonstrating the fact that he is the very Son of God, 
when he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. He is yet again bringing up this imagery, bringing up this picture, bringing up this reality that he is, in fact, the Son of God. And in fact, if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, where God, speaking to Moses, calls himself I am, it's translated just the same way as Jesus here saying, it is I. Take heart. Do not be afraid. So the Bible is pointing us to this indisputable fact. Matthew is pointing us to this indisputable fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the supreme Lord of heaven and earth. He is the supreme King of kings, and he is the unquestioned Lord of lords. The man walked on water. What an incredible scene. What an incredible thing is taking place here. But now again, imagine you're one of the disciples. And you have been out on the boat for a while. And the Bible says that they were out pretty far away from the shore. And what's happened? They have gotten into a storm that has beaten the boat. It is the word used here for the way the storm was treating the boat is that the storm was tormenting the boat. This was a very strong storm, very strong headwind that had popped up. And then all of a sudden you look out and you see someone walking on water. What's the first thing you would have thought? I probably would have thought exactly what the disciples thought. That's a ghost, right? What, what is that? Who is that? And then Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid, Right? Showing us that he is the son of God, but yet what does he call us to do? He calls us to trust him and worship him. He calls us to trust him and worship him. Now, who's going to speak first? Well, if you read through the gospels, almost every time when there's someone who's going to speak first, it's usually one man. And that man's name is Peter. Now, here's what we love about Peter. Peter is oftentimes courageous. Peter is oftentimes ready. Peter is oftentimes strong. Now, before we give Peter too hard of a time, based on what we read here, let's think about it like this. Nobody else got out of the boat, right? So you say whatever you want about Peter, but the man got out of the boat. I'll give him that, right? But also, what are some of the things that we see about Peter? We see that the same Peter who can be very courageous, very stout-hearted, very strong, can almost in the next moment become timid, become afraid, become fickle in his heart. Does that remind you of anybody you know? Well, let me confess this to you. It should remind you of your pastor. It should remind you probably of yourself. Because I know that in this journey of following Jesus, there are so many times when it seems that I'm just filled with faith and filled with courage and filled with strength and ready to go. Lord, just tell me what to do. Just give me the task. Show me the hill and I will climb that hill and I will take it for the glory of your name. And then I can turn around in the next moment. What's wrong with my life? Why aren't things going the way that I thought? Is there something wrong with me? Is everything okay? Am I all right? 
Is my foundation okay? Is everything, yeah. and, and I can start to get fearful and anxious. Am I the only one? Okay, good. Starting to feel a little lonely for a second. So I think we get in Peter an incredible picture of what happens when we see faith and doubt come into conflict with each other. And then we see a wonderful picture of the constancy of Jesus. It's an amazing thing that happens. We are called to trust and worship him. So let's talk first about trusting Jesus. All right? So in this small section of the Bible, we've already said, we, we kind of get a snapshot of how good things can go for us and how low things can go for us, right? We see the highs. At the invitation of Jesus, Peter walks on water. Don't miss that. At the invitation of Jesus, Peter walks on water. At the same time, we see that when Peter looks at the wind, in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. In fact, go up to verse 28. Let's read this whole thing and run up to it again. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I love the way Jesus responds here. He says, come, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He saw the wind. Peter entered into a conflict between the invitation that Jesus had given him to come and walk to him and what his senses told him. He looked at the wind and he looked around and he said, okay, th this should not be. This should not be happening. And what begins to happen? What sinks Peter? Doubt sinks Peter, right? That's what sunk him. Problems arise for us when doubt begins to replace faith and trust. Now, before we dive too deeply into this, this is one of those places in the Bible where, where there's a warning that comes with it. And the warning is, don't over-spiritualize this. Don't over-spiritualize a passage like this. And when we, what we mean when we talk about over-spiritualizing is where you try to read yourself into every account, every story, or you try to make everything in the Bible specifically about you. Like for instance, we take a verse like Philippians chapter four, verse 13, where the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we wanna turn that into a mantra that says, I can achieve every dream I've ever had. I'm gonna go into that job interview and I'm just gonna quote Philippians 4.13 over and over and over again, and, and I'm gonna get that job. And, and we, we over-spiritualize that verse of scripture. That verse of scripture has a principle in it that is so very important for us as followers of Jesus. Paul, as he was in prison, was saying that no matter what comes my way, if I have a lot or if I have a little, I'm good because I know that Christ is with me and I am with Christ. And so if it goes well for me or if it goes badly for me, I know I'm okay because he gives me strength. Whatever comes my way, I know he gives me strength. And so there is a principle in there that every one of us as followers of Jesus needs to hold to. That whatever comes to us in this world, we know that if we are with Christ, we're good. 
So even as we come to some verses like this, the warning kind of cries out, you know, don't, don't over-spiritualize this. Don't, don't necessarily put yourself in that place of Peter, but I do want us to take some time and talk about how the Bible speaks of faith and doubt, because I believe there's something for us to be learned here. Jesus is the Son of God, and he calls us to trust him. Peter says, if it's really you, then command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter comes and he walks to Jesus, but when he looked around and he saw the wind, something happened in his mind. Something happened in him and he doubted. And when he doubted, he began to sink. Peter had some legitimate reasons to doubt but those reasons were not good enough reasons to doubt. It was legitimate for Peter to doubt because he looked at the storm and he looked at the wind around him. It was legitimate for him to doubt. It was understandable for him to doubt. But here's the truth. It was not a good enough reason for him to doubt. Why? Because Peter was never, not once, not one moment in time, never in danger. Never. He was never in peril. He was never in harm's way. Why? Because Jesus had invited him to come. And he was good until he started to look at the wind around him. So when we talk about doubt in the life of the Christian, we need to talk about how we battle that, if you will. Because here's the reality. The Bible does not place doubt in a positive light. But the Bible is also clear to help us understand that when we follow Jesus, there are times when there's doubt or there are doubters among us. In fact, in the Bible, in the book of Jude, the Bible encourages the followers of Jesus to have mercy on those who doubt. To have mercy on those who struggle or who battle with doubt. And here's one of the facts of the Christian life, at least it's a fact that I found to be true, and I would imagine that you found it to be true. There are moments when the temptation to doubt can be strong, and there are moments when it feels like doubt just might eat you up. You ever felt that? What sunk Peter? Doubt sunk him. Now, what happens as soon as Peter starts to sink? He says, Lord, save me, and what does Jesus do? He says, sorry, buddy, you doubted. You're on your own now. Hope you can swim, right? No. Jesus doesn't throw him a line, doesn't give him some water wings to put on and you know, blow up and see if he can make his way back into the boat. No, none of that happens. What does Jesus do? He grabs him, right? Grabs him. But when he does, he challenges Peter, doesn't he? What does he say to Peter? He says, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, Jesus has used that term before. Jesus has used that term, you have little faith, in Matthew chapter 6. When he's challenging his followers to say, why, why do you worry so much about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear? The non-believers, they worry about these things. Don't you know that my heavenly Father knows what you need? Oh, you have little faith? Don't you know that you're good? That, that, if, that if you belong to me, if you follow me, 
that God is going to take care of you, watch over you, provide for you. He says, oh, you of little faith, doubt, though it exists, though it is real, though it is at times something that we battle with, needs to be fought with truth. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to bring a, a, a passage of Scripture. Uh, in, in, uh, it's in James chapter 1, if we can bring that next slide up. Turn with me, if you will. And I want us to see the strong way that the Bible speaks of doubt. Because we get an encouraging verse or two of Scripture, and then we get a strong warning. A little bit of a shot, if you will, between the eyes, a shot to the heart. In James chapter 1, starting in verse 5, The Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That sounds like a wonderful promise. I love that promise in Scripture. And I have come back to that many times as a follower of Jesus. God, you tell me in James chapter 1, verse 5, that if I need wisdom, let me go to you, and you will give me wisdom if I ask for it. But then look at what the Bible says starting in verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now that term double-minded is important because it's interesting to see what happens when Peter starts to sink. The doubt that he has is not so much an intellectual doubt that doubts what he believes, but it is a double-mindedness that says, I know what I have been invited to, but I also know what I see, and what I see is kind of taking control right now, and I'm going to trust this more than what I've been invited to. Does that make sense? That is the core and the root of Peter's doubt. He sinks because of this doubt. It is a double-mindedness that is so fixated on what you see that you get wrapped up in that and, and you miss what it is that, that Jesus has called you into, invited you into, if you will. This is what Peter deals with. And then Jesus says, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt, oh, you have little faith? What Peter needed to remember is that when he was with Jesus, when he was following right in that invitation of Jesus, he was good, he was okay. Even as the winds were kicking up, even when things looked dangerous, he was okay. Brothers and sisters, if I might be so bold as to say I believe one of the principles that we can see from these verses of Scripture is that Jesus is the Son of God. He calls us to trust him. Even this, in this small account, we see Jesus essentially looks at Peter and in a very loving way, he shakes his head and say, why didn't you trust me? I told you to come. Why didn't you trust me? Brothers and sisters, let us remember that every word that Jesus says, every word in the word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, is true, trustworthy, reliable. We can bank our entire lives on it. Because Jesus is the Son of God, though we might believe we have legitimate reasons to doubt, 
We don't have any good reasons to doubt. None. We can trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Now, let me bring us to a close and let's talk about worshiping Jesus. In verses 32 and verse 33, imagine again you saw this, right? Not only Jesus on the water, but Peter gets out of the boat, walks to Jesus. Can you imagine what you'd be thinking? What am I seeing here, right? What, what incredible thing is happening right now? So in verses 32 and verse 33, the Bible says, Matthew records, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I don't know why it ceased in that moment, but I think it's kind of cool that it did, right? It seems very dramatic, right? Again, Jesus just demonstrating he's got this. Then in verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. The Bible states that the people in verse 33, they worshiped him. The word used here for worship is the picture of somebody bowing down or lying face down on the ground before another. Now, one of the things that we understand is that even here and now, the disciples do not have yet a fully formed, 100% clear understanding of everything they need to know about who Jesus is. Jesus is still teaching them the truth of who he is and what it means to live as his follower. But one of the things we see very clearly in these verses of scripture is that when they see this reality, they see Jesus revealing himself in this way as the son of God, they are forced to do nothing else but to acknowledge him as who he is. You are truly the son of God. And there's some really important things that are happening here. One, Jesus reveals himself. Two, they recognize Jesus for who he is. Again, not completely because they're still growing in their understanding of who he is, but they acknowledge him with confidence. You are the son of God. And when this happens, when Jesus reveals himself, when we recognize him for who he is, we are humbled in his presence, completely humbled in his presence. There is a direct connection. You see it all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. There is a direct connection between God revealing himself and people being humbled in his presence. When God shows himself for who he truly is, what he is about, it humbles us. It causes us to fall before him. Jesus, according to what Matthew records for us here, is the supreme Lord of the universe, the Son of God. He calls us to trust him and to worship him. Peter, in a moment, Faith and doubt. Gives us an insight to what so many of us battle with so many times, right? But let's not take away just the fact that we can identify with Peter. Let's also take away the truth that Jesus is communicating to Peter. Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were good. Brothers and sisters, I believe the day will come.
I don't know when it will be, but the day will come when we will look back on our lives and ask a question that sounds something like this. Why were we so afraid so much? Why were we so anxious so much? Why did we fret so much? Why did we lose so much sleep? Why did we struggle so much? Why did we ever doubt? Why did we ever wonder if this was going to work out? Why did we ever struggle with any of these things? Because Jesus, as the very Son of God, shows us that He is so trustworthy, so worthy of worship. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that He is incredible with being faithful. So good with being trustworthy. So let us join our hearts together as his people. Acknowledge him as the son of God. And trust him and worship him.